So we get to study the scriptures together, and we're going to continue on with our study in the book of Luke. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and we're, today we're going to talk about this idea of being found. Now Luke 15 is, of course, a familiar passage to many of us. Uh, most of you would know it as the passage that has, or the chapter that has, the prodigal son story. So we're going to take a few minutes, we're going to roll through this and draw some conclusions that I think the Holy Spirit wants to work in us just a little bit. So let's pray over that, and then we'll dig in, all right? Are you ready? All right, Heavenly Father, we love you, and we want you to speak to us today. God, we don't want to hear the words of any one man, we want to hear what the Spirit has to say to us. So I ask you to teach us. I pray that you would speak through your word uh, plainly so that we can be the people of God that you've called us to be. We love you and we surrender our lives and we open up our hearts so that you can work in us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. You ever lost anything that was really frustrating? I know I have. I do it every Sunday. They're called my car keys. And every Wednesday night, they're my car keys. And just about every other day at home, they are my car keys. I can't seem to locate them. And it's so frustrating. At least if you're ever around here on a Sunday morning and you're one of the last ones here, run, run, run away from me because I'm going to try to enlist your help to help me Locate my lost keys. Just about every Sunday, you'll find me and four other people searching the building, trying to find my keys. And I thank you for those of you who are so faithful and so kind to me to help me get on my way and take my starving children home so I can feed them. I appreciate that. And when I finally find those keys, there is great rejoicing in the land because I get to go home and hopefully take a nap. Never happens. But I can try. That's an easy example. I can think of a time, though, I remember where we all went on a family vacation. Now, you got to understand, when I say family vacation, and I mean our extended family, this is a sight to behold. Because if you consider, start with my family and my incredible wife, Maria, who I've been married to for nearly 13 years now. And we have three children, okay, so there's five of us. Then you take Ross and Amy, and you add in their five children, seven, five, that's right, five children. And then you add in our other brother and his wife, and they also have five children. And no, I have no interest in catching up. We're just fine. Thank you for asking. And then you add in to all the other family members. You've got Lori and Darren and their three children. And, and on and on. We've got, we've got two more brothers. And they have children. I mean, it's out of control. And then our parents. So anytime we go anywhere, it is invasive. And we went as a crowd to SeaWorld. We, and, uh, and there's lots of crowds there, too. And uh, it was several years ago, but it was here in Texas, actually. We went to SeaWorld. We'd just seen the Shamu show, and it was great. And as we left that show, there's a big crowd exiting, and we are a big crowd. And little Zachary, who was much younger at the time, he got lost. 
Like no one was sure where he was. And our crowd, our, we got split up, so we didn't know where to go. So I was with Amy and a bunch of others, and Ross was supposed to have Zachary, but nobody knew if he had Zachary, because let's face it, he was with Ross. And so, oh, that was not good. Isn't it fun when they're not here? It's really fun. I'm going to have a good time. Let me put on the brother hat. We'll take off the pastor hat and look out. Okay, so so no one knew. So we're making phone calls and we're trying to find out. And everybody's starting to panic now because it's been too long. And there are too many people and he's too young and everybody's getting real nervous, especially Amy. And she's very antsy, understandably so. And she's pacing around and she's calling and calling and calling and phones aren't working and batteries are dying and we can't find Zach. I'm starting to get really nervous. I have no kids at this time. And so I'm starting to freak out. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I mean, it's just about to unravel. Well, then we finally, right at the last minute before it just explodes, we happen to find Zach because he comes in and he was with Ross and the other crowd all the time. But all this relief immediately happens. And all this rejoicing happens. Hooray! And then Amy just lit into everybody. (laughs) She's like, Zach, I love you so much. I was so afraid. How dare you? As we commonly do. He wasn't quite expecting that response. And then, of course, it went from little Zachary, how dare you, to Ross. It is fun when they're not here. Um, and, uh, and it, of course, it resolved and it was fine. But, but there was a great rejoicing, at least initially, And then there were some other responses that came. But as you go through this passage, it's easy to wonder. It's easy to think about how does God really view all of us when people are lost? How does he treat them? What if I'm lost and I need to come back? And this chapter really answers a lot of these questions. As you look through it, and we're going to read pretty much all the way through it, I think this morning, if we've got time, we're going to try And we're going to start in Luke 15, uh, in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. I love that idea. They add that thing on at the end. He welcomes sinners. And do you know what else he does? He has the nerve to eat with them. He's not just with them and welcoming them and saying, hi, sinner. He's eating. He's spending time. And they were very frustrated by this, these religious leaders. And, you know, in our day, I don't know, some people who are a little more religious might tend to respond the same way. Let's try to put it a little more in our context. Let's take someone who we might say could be potentially be a hero of the faith. Let's take a, let's take a Billy Graham. And let's take a, a super cultural villain from my day, a guy like uh, Marilyn Manson. <laughs> Some people laughed. Other people went, <gasps> not him. And add into it any other sort of cultural baddie that you want to throw into it. Let's say uh, Billy Graham, Marilyn Manson, and Lady Gaga. And just pick, pick your own, all right? Uh, for me, I just think these are lost people who haven't quite found Jesus yet. And so it's great. But, but there are several who were religious here that did not like what was going on. 
What is he doing? Is he condoning them? Is he condoning their actions? Why is he with them? And Jesus, knowing about this muttering, he launches into these three stories to prove a point to these religious folks and to reveal to us something about the heart of the Father. In verse 3, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you, I love that he starts this way, He starts by bringing everybody in. He puts it directly into their context. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Incredible first story about the shepherd who will leave 99 sheep, of course not irresponsibly, but will leave 99 sheep to pursue one single individual. We know John 3.16. We know that God so loved the world. But we don't often think, God loves me. God loves you enough to leave and to go chase you down if you're lost. And what does he do? It says here in the passage that as he, as he goes, he searches. And he searches for how long? In the story, Jesus says, he searches until he finds it. There's no end to it. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, man, my legs. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm going to go back and maybe grab a snack, and then I'll just resume the search. It says he searches until he finds it. And when he finds it, he reaches down. He picks up that lost sheep. He puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it home. Because let's be honest, sheep are dumb. They don't know much. They tend to wander. They're not that bright. They're not scary. They got nothing. When we want somebody to go to sleep quickly, what do we tell them to do? Count some sheep. Because they're little woolly, nice things that you like to pet. I mean, if somebody said, hey, listen, on your way home, look, there's a big truck that tipped over and there's a bunch of sheep all over the road. Watch out. Don't go that way. Nobody's going to say that. You're going to say, ooh, I can't wait. I want to go. I want to pet the sheep. Now, if they said, hey, a truck full of lions fell over, okay, that's another story. But sheep, they're kind of innocent and dumb. They don't know much. And the shepherd, he takes them, he takes us, puts us on his shoulders, and he carries us home. And then he continues on with the story in another way. Or suppose in verse 8, a woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He says the same story again in a little bit different way. And this woman, she has ten coins. She loses one, and she rips apart the house. You can see her probably sweeping. She lights the lamp. She's looking around everywhere for it, probably moving what little furniture she may have had to try to find that coin. One simple coin, even though she still had nine. And when she finds it, she rejoices, and she calls all her friends together and says, hey, you got to come and party with me because I had one coin that I lost. 
But guess what? I found it. Then he goes on to the story that a lot of us know probably the best. We call it the prodigal son. Here it says the parable of the lost son. In verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now let's pause here for just a second. As Jesus tells this part of the story, he's highlighting how despicable this kid really is. I mean, this is, this is kind of a bad kid. He's essentially saying to his father, Dad, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. In fact, really, it would be better to me if you were dead. So I want what's coming to me because I want to leave and I want to go and I want to do my own thing. Dad, I will never say this to you, I promise. Yeah. So he says, give me what's coming to me. So probably what this looks like, I mean, I mean think about how bad this kid is. He's just a young man saying these kinds of things to his father. And most likely, we're dealing in land. We're dealing in property. We're dealing with things like this. So this son then, he's going to have to sell some of that stuff. His older brother will most likely get two-thirds because he gets a double portion. And then he's going to get probably a third. And so he's got to sell all of this and liquidate it so he can have some cash so he can go do what he wants to do. So now, not only has he said these horrible things to his father, but now he's going to sell the land to somebody else who's going to live on the father's land, most likely. I mean, this is a bad deal. I can relate somewhat to this because my wife's family has a big plot of land up in upstate New York. And their dad, uh, Maria's granddad, he bought this land. It was a campground uh, many, many years ago. Decades and decades ago, and he bought this land, and all of his sons, all of his big, burly, hairy, manly, hunting, uh, uh, cement-pouring sons, (laughs) well, they own a a cement company anyway, uh, yeah, so these are big dudes, and uh, you can see, of course, why Maria picked me. That wasn't supposed to be that funny. I was, uh, <laughs> I really, upon my first entrance into the family, I will never forget the first day of walking onto that land. In all this land, all these trees, all these humongous guys with big beards, they just, they all had like, you know, blood in their fingernails because they just killed some deer. And, you know, it's like, is, what, is, that, is that blood in your mustache? Well, that, that's blood in his mustache. And so he... Uh, these guys, they're all standing around. I'm trying to carry some firewood over to the fire that we're trying to make, you know, and they're all like this. And I'm like, with my twigs, you know, it's just a terrible scene. Thankfully, they've accepted me now, but, uh, but they've got all of this incredible land that they've all built on. And now it used to be that that campground was just out in the middle of nowhere, but now houses are popping up all over, and they're all furious about it because they've all got log cabins and homes that they themselves have built. And now people are coming onto that land, and people are getting closer and closer and closer, and they're just furious because they can see that, and it's kind of disrupted their little place. I mean, it's a hard thing these guys are going through. By the way, they call uh, Maria's maiden name was Lina. They call it Shangri-Lina. 
I call it the compound, but that's another story. And so, so this son is a bad kid. He's making some bad decisions, and he's doing a lot of bad stuff that's really affecting everybody. And the story continues saying in verse 13, not long after that, the younger son, he got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, this is the way that it works, right? We've said no to the Father, and we wander away to go do our own thing. Often, it ends pretty quickly as we become spent. We've given up everything that we have And then we start to find out when we're no longer the life of the party anymore who our real friends are or should I say who they were. And now you find yourself isolated and alone with nobody around. You got to find some way to make the ends meet. So you're looking around. In his case, he had to hire himself out to a citizen of that country. He had to go and feed Pigs, which, you know, you understand this is not a good job for a young Jewish boy to have. Pigs are unclean animals. They're not supposed to touch them. They're not supposed to be near them. And here he is spending every day with them. And his situation went from bad to worse to even worse. And this is the way it goes with us when we decide we're going to walk away. And he just wanted to eat the pods the pigs were eating. If I could just, I just need something. And, he, and no one will give him anything. He's isolated. He's alone. He's got nothing. And in verse 17, when he came to his senses. Everybody, this is a big idea. Remember that phrase. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out and go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Now there's a great moment here where that boy gets up from all of his mess and all of his rags and all of his filth and all of his dirt and all of that pig slime and he goes home. And you could say, good decision. He got up, he got out of there and he walked away. His repentance came. But I want to draw your attention back just a little bit further because I think it really came when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses and realized, this is not the way I'm supposed to live. In my father's house, I had so much more. My father's house, I was loved. My father's house, I was taken care of. Why did I want to live life my way? Why did I want to do my own thing? What was I thinking? Now I'm alone. I've got nothing. I want to eat this nastiness. Even the servants at home, they get treated better than me. I'm going to go back. He came to his senses. And everybody, the sense in my heart as I was praying over this message this week was that the Holy Spirit was working on some of you to help you have that come to your senses moment and to have it today. 
Not just the moment where you get up. Yes, hopefully. But the moment where you finally come to your senses and you realize, what am I doing? This is not the life that God called me to. Would you open your life up today to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you, to help you to come to your senses? So the son gets up and he starts walking towards home. And we pick it up again. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Son's walking home. And we don't know, we can extrapolate as much as we want. We can dream and envision as Jesus is telling this parable, this story. Of course, we know it's not factual. It's a story. It could have happened somewhere in some way that Jesus actually knows about, but but he's just telling a story to illustrate a point. And we don't know if the father was out searching. Preachers will often say he was out searching, he was out looking, and day by day he was out wandering. We don't know if that's true. We definitely know from the context here that that was the heart of the father. But what we do know is that when that boy crested that hill in all of his rags, in all of his filth, in all of his dirt, in all the pig slop, that his father looked. And even though he was covered head to toe, he knew his boy. And he didn't wait. He pulled up his robes, a very undignified thing for a wealthy landowner to do. And he ran that boy down. And the scripture says that he threw his arms around his neck and he hugged him and he kissed him. See the scene, everybody. This wealthy landowner who just undignified himself in front of everyone of his household and runs to the boy filled with dirt and mud who probably everybody else didn't recognize. And he throws himself in all of his clean garments and all of his clean life and he throws his arms around him and he embraces him, pulls him to himself and he kisses him and he welcomes him home. This is what God the Father does for all of us. He doesn't wait for you to be clean. You don't have to shower up. You don't have to get everything cleaned up and then present yourself. He grabs you just like you are and pulls you close and says, let me take care of this. The boy didn't even get to finish his prepared speech. He worked hard on it all the way home. And he starts into it and his dad says, hey, shut up. Listen, bring him a best robe and put it on him. Clean him up. Get my ring. Put it on his finger. He's in my family, probably signifying that ring that he was a member of that family. They may have used it to seal up wax on letters, to send correspondence. But it said he's in this family. Get sandals, put him on his feet. Servants there, they may have gone barefoot. But this boy, this is my son. He will not be a servant in my house. He is my son, and he always has been. This is what he's telling us in this passage. And so they begin to celebrate his return. It's really incredible. But it doesn't stop there. The story goes on with another lost son. 
You could say that this first one, he was rebellious. You could, you could possibly say that this older son was a little too religious. Because scripture records, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he looks at what's going on and he says, what's, what's happening here? Servant tells him, well, you, your brother, he came home. He came back, and so your father's killed the fattened calf, and they're all celebrating. And the older son is saying, what? What? What is this? And he doesn't even go in. He just goes and sits out somewhere. And Scripture records once more, one more time, that the father went out. He didn't stay in the party. He didn't stay with the son. And it says that the father came out to go sit and talk with this son. He chased him down too. And the son said, look, I've been here this whole time slave and trying to do the right things. I never got a party. I never got anything for all of my trouble and trying to serve you and trying to do the good things and trying to be the right kind of a son. You never gave me even a goat that I could celebrate with my friends. And then here, this guy, he does all of this. We got these people living over on our land because of what he did, and you're throwing him a party? Where was mine? And the father simply says, look, son, you missed the point. You've, you've always had me. Everything that I have is yours, always has been, always will be. You, son, have the better thing. You've got the better. But this son of mine, he was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and he's alive again. And then interestingly enough, that passage ends with a little bit of a cliffhanger where we don't know what the oldest son actually ended up doing. Almost as if to leave us wondering and Jesus saying, so what will you do? Who are you going to be like in this passage? We'll get to more of that in just a moment, but I want to make three quick observations on this before we go. Number one is this, from the whole chapter. Number one is pretty light and fun. Heaven loves a good party. Think about it. Every one of these stories, it ends in what? A celebration, a party, where everybody comes together. Everybody invites everybody, says, come and rejoice with me, because what was lost has now been found. What was dead is now alive. Heaven loves a great party. And I don't think it's something that we should overlook. Because here's what I think happens. Some of us, we wonder. We wonder, What's going to happen? Let's say I am the prodigal. Let's say I am one of the ones who have wandered away. Let's say that I am one of the ones who's far, and I'm isolated and alone, and I want to get up, and I want to go home. But we hesitate because we're afraid of what the Father might say to us. Might he stand on the porch like some of our fathers did when we were younger, or even recently, and say with arms folded, I told you. I told you so. I knew you'd mess this up. I knew you'd spend it all. I knew you'd ruin your life. You ruined our lives when you left. You might as well ruin yours too. I knew you were no good. I knew this was going to happen. This is not what happens here. But some of us wonder, if I decide, if I come to my senses, I have come to my senses. As the Spirit has helped me, I've come to my senses, and I want to go home. But how will the Father respond to me? Is he going to say, I told you so? I don't want that again. 
I said, your heavenly father doesn't have anything to do with your earthly father. They're not the same guy. Hopefully your heavenly father is at work in your earthly father's life. But your heavenly father, he's telling you here through his son Jesus in this story. He is telling you exactly how he's going to respond when you come home. He's going to throw a party. Fattened calf killing. Barbecue eating. It is on. Sauce running down the face. Music playing. God Almighty celebrating. You know, it says that all of heaven rejoices. In the second story of the coin, I think it's in verse 10, it says... It says uh, that there will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels. That intrigued me when I read it this week. Because I thought, what if? This might be extrapolating too much from the story, but, but just go with me for the second. What if in that moment the roles in heaven reverse? What if? What if the angels who are normally bowing in worship And rejoicing before the throne of heaven. What if they fall silent while God himself shouts over you in the presence of all the angels? This is the imagery and the picture that Jesus gives. Not once, not twice, but three times. If you sense him calling calling you home today, come home. Don't wait, don't hesitate, don't stop. Because heaven loves a good party and he's ready to throw one in your honor. Church should be a perpetual party. Church should not be the place where we come and say, oh, back to service at one chapel. I hope Ross preaches a good one today. That Brent guy, I hope he's not up today. Can't stand listening to that guy. So I hope it's a good day at church. No! We should get up and rejoice because we're going to meet with the Father and because there are lost people who are always coming to him. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, there are people in these seats that are lifting their hands and saying yes to a relationship with God Almighty. Church should be a party for us because all of heaven is already rejoicing. Second thing is, God is a good and loving Father constantly in pursuit of the lost. God's a good and loving father, constantly in pursuit of the lost. He's the good shepherd who goes after the sheep. He's like the woman who tore apart the house so that she could find that one coin. He's the father who goes after his lost sons. As I was going through this, It struck me again, I had to pause this week because I felt like it was important for our context here specifically today. Do you realize as we've read through this that he chases everybody down? He chases everybody in this story down except for the prodigal son. Did you realize that? We have the story at the end where he runs out and he chases him down when he's coming home. But when he says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I'm going to go do my thing. The father says, okay. And he gives it to him. And he lets him go. When the son of the house wanted to go and do his thing, the father said, 
okay, I won't stop you. That's a difficult thing for us to face. And I think there's much to be said, much more than we have the time for. And there are many areas that we could go into. But let me just propose one reason why today for us just to leave with and think about. I think one of the reasons is because a forced relationship is no relationship at all. Forcing somebody into a relationship means that you really don't have a relationship. And so he says, okay, son, if that's what you feel you must do, then go. But then what stance does he take on the porch, arms outstretched, waiting, waiting, waiting until that boy comes home? And then he chases him down. But I got stuck on it as I was reading it this week because I thought it may be, it may be that here in the room today, here in our body, there are those of you that are finding yourself in that position. And you've wandered away. You've walked away. You've said, I I want nothing to do with this anymore. I tried this. I did this. I want to go. I'm done with this. I washed my hands of it. And you walked away. And the father said, okay. But I'm waiting. And as you've gone further and further and you've become isolated and you've lost your friendships and you're alone and you're starving and you're wondering, why am I alone? Why can I not hear God? Where is he? What's happening in my life? You've got to stop and realize you wandered away. You chose to leave. And all the while, he's back here and he's got you fixed in his gaze and he's just saying, come home, son. Come home, son. I'm ready. I'll run undignified. I'll throw my arms around you. I'll embrace you and we'll throw a big party. You just got to come home. God's calling you home today. And the last thing. We may identify with the characters in the story, but we're all called to be like the Father. So let's take a second, let's all enter into the story. If you haven't already, this is what we're to do with Scripture. Let's enter into it. Let's go into it and see what it has to say to us. Because some of you find yourselves today, you find yourselves as the sheep. You wandered. It was nothing really intentional that you did. You just, you've kind of been going through life and you tend to get easily distracted. Squirrel! (laughs) You're that guy. You're that girl. And you get distracted and you wandered. Something else happened in life and you just found yourself and suddenly you're out in the wilderness going, how did I get here? And the father wants to come and find you, lost one, and pick you up and put you on his shoulders and take you home. The other one's the coin. Some of you find yourself in the coin. The coin's an inanimate object. It doesn't live. It doesn't breathe. It can't lose itself. Somebody else lost that coin. That woman lost that coin. She misplaced it. She did something to it. It was her decisions that made that happen. Some of you find yourselves in that position. You've been mistreated. You've been abused. Something bad has happened. Something grievous has happened in your life. And so you've said, I give up. Forget it. I'm lost. But there's a father who's searching the house tearing apart furniture to try to get to you. Some of you find yourselves the prodigal where you've chosen to walk away. 
You chose to leave. Rejected everything. And I've already walked through that, but today the Father's saying, would you please come home? I didn't create you to live that life. I didn't give my one and only son so that you could sit and slop. I gave my one and only son so that you could live free. And you could live in a community of people that love you. Maybe you find yourself as the the older son. You're a little more religious. And you've been slaving away trying to do the right things and make the right decisions. And now all these lost people are coming into the church. What are they doing here? They're all dirty and smelly and sitting around, sitting by me. I used to sit in that seat. Now he's sitting in it. Yeah, you laugh because you know people like that. Some of you are laughing uncomfortably because you are that person. <laughs> but maybe that's you. Where's mine? I've been here the whole time. I worship every Sunday. I'm in a connect group. I serve on team one. I do all the stuff that I'm supposed to do. I went to square one two times. I went through eight times. Two cycles. Does that not qualify me for something? I should be a saint around here. Where's mine? And God's saying, you know what? Just be a son. You're a daughter. That's good enough for me. Recognize you don't have to slave. You don't have to do all the stuff. You're just as lost as your brother because you don't see what you got. You're my son. You're my daughter. I've given it all to you. Just And stop trying to perform for me. It doesn't work. I created all of this. I do some pretty cool stuff. You're two times through square one. Not that impressive. (laughs) You find yourself in all of these, but the one person, the point, I think, of Luke 15 is that we all become like the Father. Don't forget how the story started. Don't forget the reason that Jesus launched into these three stories. It's because the Pharisees were muttering to each other. How dare he come and sit and eat with these people. Spend extended amounts of time with them. How dare he do that? Jesus is saying to all of us today, will you do that? No doubt he's calling a bunch of you home today. But then he's saying, are you willing to go out and go get somebody else? Because here's the thing, the, this is a foundational passage for our church. It's John 17 and Luke 15. These are two foundational scriptures for us. When you see for the one, part of that is this story, one chapel exists for the one. For the one, King of kings and Lord of lords, and for the one, that's you, every individual in this world. And so he's saying, will you accept the dirt? Will you accept the mess? Will you accept the people as they come in? Because I'll be honest, we may not be great at this as a body yet, but we're praying and we're working and we're trying and decisions are being made every week. But I can promise you this, we're going to continue to pursue this heartbeat because it is what we are all supposed to do. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I apologize to you. There are probably more comfortable places for you to be in Austin than here. But we want you to be here. 
and do this with us. Would you close your eyes? We won't take long here to belabor this point, but I've already said and asked you to take a look inside and consider who are you in the story? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to tell you? Because a lot of times you look inside and you don't know. I don't know. What do you think the Holy Spirit is saying to you about who you are in this passage? I'm asking myself that question. What's it saying to me about who I am in this passage? I'm pretty good at leaning towards the older son. I'm trying to slave away and do everything right and be the good guy. And he often has to pull me aside and say, stop it. (laughs) Just be my son. I look at you, I see my son. That's good enough for me. Who are you? Are you the sheep you wandered? Are you the coin somebody misplaced you? Are you the prodigal you chose to leave? calling you back are you the older son you're just a little too religious and you just recognize you got what you need your daddy loves you stop working so hard but regardless are you willing to become like the father and chase people down and have them sit next to you and love on them and welcome them into your home into your life if today you find yourself in some of those earlier characters the sheep the coin the sons and today you'd like to make a decision to be found by Jesus because you understand God sent his only son to die on a cross because all of our work and all of our wages and everything that we'd done, all we deserved was death because of sin. And we fall short of his glory, but somehow, some way, he loves us so much that he's willing to take us as we are. So Jesus died on a cross, rose again so we could have his life. He, he took all of our sin and all of our death on him so we didn't have to pay it if you find yourself as one of those characters and you want to be found in Jesus, maybe for the first time and the first time in a long time, would you just lift up a hand? Don't be nervous. No one's looking around. Right on. Anybody else? Who else? He's calling you home today. Who else? Just slip up a hand. Right on. Who else? Right on. Yeah, good. Who else? The Father's calling you home. Anybody else? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Who else? Over here. Okay, great. Who else, man? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Who else? Don't miss this opportunity. Don't, don't let it pass you by. It's a moment. He was talking to me about you this week as I was praying. He's calling you home. Say yes. Yeah. Right on. 
Who else? Anybody else? Let's all pray this prayer together. This is not a magical thing that we're doing. This is just there's some words that we're going to say together. We're going to pray this prayer from our heart and mean them together. Everybody in the room, confessing our sins in our old life and receiving the new life that Jesus wants to give to us. So everybody pray together, pray loud and strong. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, part of yourself that you gave to die on a cross. Jesus, thank you that you gave your all for me. And because of your body and your blood and your sacrifice, I can live free. You paid the debt that I owed. I won't pay it now. Thank you for saving me. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my old life. I turn away from my old life. And I turn into a new life that you give me today. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray that you would help every one of us today to be like you. To be like the Father. In fact, if you pray that prayer, just stretch your hands out before him. Father, it's difficult. It's trying. We don't know how. We fail. We can be weak. But God, we want to pursue the lost like you pursue the lost. We want church and life to be a perpetual party because lives are being found. Find lives by using us. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name.